Hello and welcome to another episode of the Men's Wear Style Podcast. I'm your host, Pete Brooker. On this episode, I'm going to talk to Paul Adrian, founder and CEO at Mojair Skin and Hair Care. And I'm going to pull a short clip here from the website, which you can find, by the way, at mojo-style.com. All of the Mojo hair products feature our unique luxury signature fragrance, I should say, which delivers a long-lasting scent that is elegant, charismatic, with a sophisticated woody oriental composition. The Mojo hair range delivers classic British style, fusing superior pro salon product performance with a premium luxury and elegant fragrance. Well put. So, that interview with Paul to come, and Paul is... Paul is one of those guys I could have spoken to for hours, which is quite ironic considering I have no hair. But we get into more interesting stuff like Paul's journey and the the secret of growing a grooming brand from concept to market, distribution chains, what are the pitfalls, what are the do's and don'ts, and there's even an Aston Martin James Bond story thrown in for good measure. But before we get to Paul, don't forget to check out the show notes at menswearstyle.co.uk and check us out on the social at menswearstyle. <laughs> Sorry, completely the wrong cadence. Check us out at the social at menswearstyle. If you want to come on the show, maybe you want to tell us about your brand and your journey, you can email us here at info at menswearstyle.co.uk. Okay. Oi. Let's get to it. This is a good one. I hope you enjoy it. Here is that interview with Paul Adrian, founder and CEO at Mojo Skin and Hair Care. Well, it's my great pleasure to introduce Paul Adrian, founder and CEO at Mojo Skin and Hair Care. How are we doing tonight, Paul? We're great, Peter. Thanks. Thanks for having me on. Well, thanks for taking time out. We were just talking off mic about how this is probably your... 20 odd time that you'll have to introduce the brand and who you are so appreciate that this uh, this should have actually just been on a dictaphone you could have just played it back <laughs> that would have been better. yeah <laughs> i can remember what i was going to say then um, paul for the uninitiated though perhaps if you can give us a little thumbnail sketch of who you are and brag a little or brag a lot about mojo skin and hair care please okay um so i'm paul adrian and i'm the founder and owner of mojo hair and um, Mojo Hair is a premium men's grooming and salon uh, styling range, which I launched back in 2015 when I was 49 years old. Um, and what happened was I, I spotted a gap in the market. I'd spent previously, my career had been in advertising, um, owning and running ad, ad agencies. And then I was a director of a brand called King of Shaves. Um, where I launched a number of brands uh, for them into major retailers around the world. Interesting. I do love the name Mojo. I think yes, there's something but, about the name Mojo. Well, I, I'll tell you how I got it. Was I was lying in the garden looking for a name for the brand. <clears throat> and um, I wanted to create a brand and, uh, that encapsulated everything that I loved. And I'm passionate about music. Um, so I'm passionate about things I like, like Triumph motorcycles, um, fashion design, uh, quite a lot of retro 60s style guitars, Monte Cristo cigars, probably all the finer things in life 
that you know I, you can't you can't afford it. You, you always aspire to or always look cool. Um, and um, from my advertising background, when I'm looking at brands and how they work and how do you get them to be memorable, they've got to have a short, punchy, sharp name. And often it just has like four letters. So I just created um, a page as I normally do and just started to write names down at random. And um, anyway, I thought Mojo. And uh, I thought, oh, that's, you know, going back to my love of um, uh, sort of blue jazz, blue note jazz records and New Orleans music. And I thought, well, that's a great name. Now, the key thing when you're creating a brand is, is can you trademark the name? And so I wrote the name down and then I, I didn't do anything else. I just went to the, what we call the IPO gov notes where you can find out what names have been registered. Right. And because I was looking at creating a hair brand or a cosmetics brand, um, I scrolled through and this comes under a thing called class three, which is the cosmetics area. And there was no mojo in there. Uh-huh. So I, thought well that's exciting so i registered mojo hair and a number of other iterations of mojo mojo skin and hair care and stuff like that and then you have to wait three months to see if anyone objects to it and um i got the name oh fantastic well it it, it's one of these names like you say it's short and it's punchy but it also has that meaning of i don't know your your essence your your vibe yeah. your you know, yeah. people i guess call it the x factor if the x factor wasn't a thing it would be a mojo you know yeah so the key thing about it relating it back to the brand was that um i'd spotted a, a gap in the in the market for a premium men's range but actually targeting what we call the the fmcg retails so the supermarkets of the world so waitrose sainsbury's uh, woolworths in australia and there was no um, premium product there. So I thought, okay, I'm going to make this with pro salon product and um, I'm going to add some magic to it, which is a fragrance. And most men's hair products at the time and also now don't actually smell that nice. In fact, they stink. Mm-hmm. And what that is is things like the barbicide in them, the, 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 the chemicals in them. And I was trying on a range of hair products at the time to try and develop the brand and I was wearing a very expensive American brand I'm not going to name it um and my wife walked into the room and said what is that smell <laughs> and I unlike most guys when you've bought something expensive I was a bit embarrassed I was like well, this, this is good this is really good so everyone says <laughs> <laughs> stinks she, and she just looked at me and said why don't you just um uh make something that smells like your hair like like your your aftershave or your fragrances and that's when the sort of penny dropped and she left the room and i thought what a great idea ah. if i could create a product that actually did all this pro salon so pro salon means that it works so it will, if you put it in your hair it will last whereas you know the cheaper products are more water-based and they actually won't hold or perform in terms of generating a style of hair that you want to achieve. And um, I thought, what a great idea. So then I got in touch with a, um, uh, a fragrance company based over in Hertfordshire and um, got the fragrances and said, look, here's the types of um, aftershaves I'm interested in, but I want to put it into a hair product. And they went, yeah, sure. And so they created these scents. Basically, they put together the 10 best-selling scents from fragrances around the world and uh-huh. said, well, 
what would you like? So I, I went from everything. So from, you know, light summery fragrances to heavier, denser black pepper and finally got something in the middle. So effectively my mine smells something akin to Dolce Gabbana, the one. Uh-huh. And then the next bit was to do the chemistry of using that into a pro salon products, which is a lot of testing and trialing. And it took about, that took literally about eight months. And then finally we created the product. And hence at the same time I'd registered the name Mojo and the whole thing was then, right, we've got the product. So the mo- so what it's going to do, is going to get your hair to work and it's going to make you sm- smell and feel good, which is, you know, I've got my mojo working, the whole thing there. Mm-hmm. And then for the design of the packs, I just went back to my love of Blue Note jazz records for the typography, which is that sort of two-coloured thing, but actually it looks like four colours. So we went with black and gold, which is premium. And then the black and gold is, as I was saying, is, is related to... Uh, things like you know the the buttons on a bell staff jacket, the Monte Cristo band that goes around the cigar, their branding, and then of course as it's gold and black is always premium around the world. So, um, and the rest of my sort of competitors are all in aqua colours. Right. So I want to have something that really stood out and said, you know, I'm the challenger brand and I'm premium and I'm here. Nice. I really like the the finished product. Because I think the, like the the cylindrical tubs are, have got a very nice like presence to them, and like you say, the black and yellow uh, has like the luxury feel to it. But it does feel like I'm picking up something that's uh, quite vintage as well, like the like a, a record, like you say, like the Blue Notes record. It has a quite an Americana feel to it. I don't know if these are probably yeah, just, that's if, that's things exactly that are evoking things for me. So um, yeah. yeah, I was really pleased when I actually saw it. I thought that it, I, I wish I had hair. That was kind of like my first go-to. I was like, God, it looks like I chose the wrong lifetime. But I think when you're, when you're creating your own brand, um, especially if you're creating a challenger brand, you need to do something, one that's different. Um, you've got to create a great product. That's number one. So whether it's mm. toothpaste, hair product, a car, a phone, um, you know, uh, a new uh, protein bar, it's got to be a great product. Then after that, or at the same time you've got to have great branding and your branding is you've got to be distinctive because if you're creating all those packs you probably haven't got that much money to do any marketing or advertising so your pack is the marketing and therefore going back to you know your four letters be very clear Um, I also went from the view that when I looked at the other brands in the marketplace I felt a lot of them had too much copy on them and I don't as a guy I felt I'm quite lazy I don't want to read lots of copy I like things that are really plain and design led so i had a denon stereo and it literally it it looks like it was made yesterday but it's 20 years old and it has one button that you press to go and it has one dial. you know it's not full of dials it's just simplistic and clean and that's what i wanted to get over um on the pack and also when you're you know when you're doing pack designs you don't want lots of copy because they're small so no one Mm. can read it so just try and get over the key three messages of what your product's about. I really liked uh, some of the life lessons I read on the Forbes interview magazine, Paul, oh. about how you were, when you were approaching the likes of the Hut Group and Ocado, you had the, the samples as opposed to kind of like the whole finished article and, and loads and loads and loads of stock. And it, it kind of reminded me of how in my time I've got 
about three or four different screenplays just sitting on my hard drive and three other books that are all going to just sit in binary for perpetuity. And really what you can translate, I think, from, from, your, from your idea is you don't really need to finish the whole thing in terms of you don't need to have the whole agenda to present to someone. You can pretty much just give them a hint of the idea and say, look, this is the opportunity I'm presenting to you. Do you want to get on the back of this? And uh, I, I feel like that's something that needs to be said to a lot of people before they waste time and effort and a lot of money investing in loads and loads of stock, thinking that's the way forward. Yeah. Uh, well, I think that there's a couple of points there. I think that, first of all, you know, fortunately, I'd, I'd come from a background where I knew the market that I was going into. So that, that's critical because I knew who the buyers were. I knew the gap in the market. Um, and I sort of had an idea, uh, and I knew how to sell it. So, uh, so you, there's certain things, you, key cues you want to pick out that, that that they're looking for. So, in in my case, I knew that I was looking for a, I was presenting a premium product, not a, a low end product, because at a low end product, you're you're you, you know a low price product, you're you're going up against some big competitors, particularly in my marketplace, who have got large war chests of cash who will just blow you out of the market. Mm. So I was going into the gap, which I saw was the, the premium end for which you can get more money for, for which the retailer can, can earn more money from. And um, so I created the product and what I had was the sample, the interior product, the sample was the, was the formulation. So that was, that was fine. But I spent, I still, I still spent a lot of money I, for me at the time, I spent about 3000 pounds putting the samples together and they were sort of in a state where, you know, if you picked them up and looked at them and held them, it was the jar, but it was a mock-up, right. you know, and it was good enough for them to go, we want it. I mean, I pres- I emailed a presentation. I did a PowerPoint just all together myself. I took a load of images. In fact, the first presentation I did featured a load of images of Alan Delon all in it from his his movies and i thought well that's really cool and it's got that retro vibe and a lot of people don't even know who he is but you know he you know he could have been bigger than james dean he probably is in well he is in france and uh <laughs> and so i did that and i remember presenting it i think it was to well i did ocado and the hut group in the same week and they just went i sent the well i sent the presentation through and within half an hour they both came back to me and said when can you come in so i took the samples down there took them into the meeting, presented them so they could smell the fragrance, they knew the product. They loved the whole idea and the imagery that I'd put together. So they were buying the whole concept. And from that, they said, right, let's go, we'll do it. Now, one of the things that happens to me quite regularly now is I will get um, hit up on LinkedIn or through other people introducing, saying, oh, Paul, I love what you do. I've got a skincare range I would I would love your advice on. Right. Um, and I go, yeah, sure. What is it? And they go, well, I've done this, and that sounds really good. And then they uh, they'll say, yeah, I've made forty thousand units, and they're all <laughs> warehouse. And you sit there and go, well, who are you selling it to? And have you spoken to anyone about it? And they'll go, no. Well, that's what I was coming to you about. Could you introduce? And I, it's like, oh my god, all the way around, yeah, cash. So what you've got to do as an entrepreneur is take a bit of risk and opportunity and go, okay, I'm going to invest X amount, a small amount in putting together this package. And you read all these, you know, really successful people way beyond me will say, get it 95% done and sell it. Don't overanalyze it, you know, because it'll change anyway over time. So 
my advice is is create a small run. So invest your 1,000, 3,000, 5,000. Do not spend much more. And try and get an early uh, hit. So once you've got that early hit, then that you know that you can get some cash coming in. So it becomes a believable thing. If you carry on investing, you know, all your, your savings or whatever it is, you're mad. You know, you're, it, it, you're absolutely mad. So just do it, get it done. And, you know, I, I, there's, there's, there's loads of other really successful entrepreneurs. And I've recently read um, uh, Shoe Dog, uh, the Phil Knight Nike story. Right. And he did exactly the same. So basically, you know, as an entrepreneur in those first early stages, you've got to blag it because you've got to go in, you get the meeting, you tell them, this is it. This is why it is here. Um, this is what it's going to do. And, you know, if it's a believable and it's a good product, they'll go, yeah, okay, we'll give you a trial run. We'll give you, I don't know, 12 stores, or we're going to put you on this site and we'll, or we'll buy a hundred units from you. So because any buyer is going to take a test run, they're not going to take a huge amount to start with. Yeah. And, and so therefore just protect yourself. And even in that trial phase, you may have to change it, whether it's the design, the product, something somewhere may fall over. So, you, you know, you've got to be prepared that actually most of that stock might have to go in the bin, but we've learned this key learning, which means the gap is here. Yeah. I mean, in my case, what I did when I originally started was I had the, the, the brand, I put it in glass jars because I really liked glass and I made it quite big and chunky. And that's what I got into Ocado and the Hut Group. Right. However, it was priced at the time at about 15 pounds uh-huh. and it was okay. So it was selling and we, and then I started selling it all around the world, India, the U S and Russia and South Africa. But it wasn't doing mega units. You know, it was like a side hustle. It was, it was nice. And I, and, and I remember my wife going, well, this isn't going to pay the mortgage off. You mm. know, it's, what are you doing? You know, and um, that's when I thought, right, I, you know, Tesco's had said to me, we really like it, but we need it at £10 for us to take it. Right. And then I did another presentation. So I went back to the drawing board. I restylized it down to uh, the smaller pot that I have now uh-huh. and got, again, went back to my roots of did a mock-up, got the samples, did a presentation and I sent it to uh, the buyer at um, Waitrose. And then I followed it up with a phone call and he picked up the phone on about my 10th attempt of trying to get through. And um, I said, Oh, it's Paul from Mojo. I sent you some samples. And he went, yeah, they're great. Is, would you like to come in and see us? And uh, so I drove over to uh, Bracknell, which is their head office, went in there. And the first thing he said to me is, um, we've been waiting for your competitors to do this right. for the last 10 to 15 years. And you've just walked in and done it. This is really exciting. And I was like, wow. And he said, look, just leave it with me for three or four weeks. We're going to test it internally. So what uh-huh. they do, they take the samples and show it around all the guys and girls at Waitrose and get their natural feedback. And about three weeks later, he called me back and said, okay, we're going to take it. We're going to put it in 50 stores. And at that point I didn't have any product, right? I had some product, but I didn't have it in the new box. And they had just given me an order to go into 50 stores, you know, so it was a, a serious number order that I think, I think it was a 50,000 pound order they gave me. Right. Okay. 
to make it was going to cost me at, at least that, right? <laughs> and um, so the next thing I did from there was come out of that, but you've got the order, you see. So you've got a, you know, you're into waitress. So you've really hit the big time. And um, at the time, I had a, a friend of mine who I uh, played, we played in the Vets football team. And um, he said, well, another one of our friends, he's really interested in getting involved because now you've got it in a Cardo and the Hut Group, he can see it selling. So he yeah, wants to get it. And we thought, well, maybe we can get a loan off him. And so we had a meeting with him um, down at the pub. And he said, no, 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 I want to get involved. How much do you need? And we did a deal where he invested in the company. Terrific. So oh, that's that fantastic. Was- it must have been a wonderful moment just knowing that you got the order. I envisage you going back to your car in Waitrose Car Park and doing like a couple of uh, punches in the air with onlookers going, oh, Of course you do. And, <laughs> and you're, you're elated. But at the same time, you're like, oh, my God, where, how am I going to get it made? So it's yeah. an instant head either way. So you've achieved. But you going back to what we were saying earlier, you haven't made that mistake of what if I'd made 40,000 and they weren't, um, they weren't going to take it. Yeah. Then you would be annoyed. Um, and, and then I was fortunate enough at the same time, um, I had, you know, again, through my network of people, I, I had a, a friend called, called uh, Susie Wolfenson, who's, who heads up really entrepreneurship at PW, PwC, PCW, I always get it wrong, PwC, you know, the accountancy firm. Sure. And um, she saw it and so she rang me and asked me what I was doing and I told her I got the brand, I'd, you know, do it going into Waitrose, et cetera. And she said, well, do you, need, do you need any money? And I went, well, yeah, you do. Because in the business I'm in, I, when I set it up, I knew I was going to need investment. So it, because you're always buying more and more stock, and I said, yeah, I do. And um, she said, well, look, I, I know someone who'd be pretty interested in seeing you and what you're doing. And I said, oh, who's that? And she said, oh, it's, um, it's a guy called Andrew Gerry. And I went, I, I don't know him. And, um, and she said, well, um, he's the co-founder of Lush. Wow. And, and I went, what? And I said, well, he won't be interested in this. She said, no, I think he will be. So she said, Why I'm going to call him, tell him all about you, and you send him some samples. So I sent him the samples. He then called me back and said, listen, I've got the samples, really good. Um, I, I, I'm very interested to meet you. Um, and about a month passed because it was the summer. And um, we met up in London and uh, at, at a coffee shop. I remember it, just off Brewer Street. And, uh, in fact, it was the, um, the Rafa coffee shop. And... Uh, and uh, we we met there and, and he said, right, I've got the products. I love them. I love what you're doing. Um, I'd like to invest. And um, all I want to do now is 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 meet the rest of the management team. And I just <laughs> looked, you're looking at it because <laughs> there was only me. And he just laughed. So uh, and then he and then after a bit of, you know, uh, haggling, we uh, he, he agreed to invest in the business. So that was the last time I. I took any investment was about three and a half years ago and we've just managed to grow it through via, you know, loans and using FinTech and banking to, and, and, and great support from our retailers to get where we are now. Wonderful. Oh, what a great story. I love, 
<laughs> I love the fact that you're also at lunch and you're kind of going over prices. No one's going, well, look, I'll go away and talk to the wife. Yeah, I'll go away and talk to my accountant. You're kind of, you're both like drawing it up on that. Like the end of arbitrage with Richard Gere. They were going, oh, oh. <laughs> how much would you have gone in for? Well, it would have been 20%. So uh, that's, well, that's how I envisage it. <laughs> well, funny, funny enough, we did do something similar to that because prior to the meeting, one of, my, one, of, one of the other shareholders said exactly similar to that, said, well, whatever figure you're going to go in with, he's not going to bid you up. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't work that way. <laughs> no, it doesn't. And, uh, you know, but, but what, was, what was really interesting at that time, because so much was happening, and this is, you know, one of the key learnings was almost growing too fast, was we got into Waitrose, and then uh, about two months later, we got into Woolworths in Australia into 1500 stores and not only that but the buyer there said look not only do i want the four hair products but could you do me a shampoo and a conditioner as well wow (laughs) can you get them all here in about three months time um and to to, and we're talking you know then we're talking about a hundred thousand units needing to be made so it, it was a case of we also then had to look at the manufacturing because in, in, in the cosmetics business, there's lots of little manufacturers who can help you get going, which is great. Then there's a bit of a gap when you get to the next stage where you're in with the likes of a Tesco's or a Sainsbury's who want to place an order to fulfill 2,000 stores um, and they want product in the stockroom and they want product on the shelf. You know, that's a different uh, level of manufacturing and also a different level of cash that's needed to make it happen. Right. Uh- You'll have to forgive my ignorance on this, Paul, but I assume when the big distribution companies or the supermarkets place these orders and ask for this product, that they're they're, they're giving you the money up front. And then, no. right, so there is there is a bridge between the cash flow of ordering. So, oh, so you then have to meet the demand. You have to make it, and that's when you, you put your hands in your. So, so effectively, you what happens is you will get an order from a retailer, whether it's online or bricks and mortar you cannot raise an invoice by law anyway till you have delivered the product so that order once you get into the flow of it they can be weekly daily monthly orders but that first order may say right okay we want you to we want you to come into the store in september and it might be may when they tell you that so, but to make that May dead to make that September deadline, you're going to have to invest now right. to make. But but you then have a piece of paper that says I've got an order from right okay. one of these, and it sort of helps and it sort of doesn't. But you know, then you can either raise finance, get loans, and that's where you know, as an as an entrepreneur, you can believe in what you're doing because one of the big brand big retailers in the world is in is investing in you because they they go okay we're going to give it a shot so but it's still that is the most stressful period because there's a gap of okay i need x amount to get to there how am i going to get it without selling all the shares in my business how do i you know keep going in that time how do i pay the mortgage how do i you know those are all and this is the thing when 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 you're you know, like every entrepreneur has gone through it, is there's just such a long period, you know, and on a regular basis where you just don't have any cash, you know, because it comes in and the next thing you do is you've got to buy more stock to fulfill 
the ongoing demand for your products. It must be a nice feeling though. And I'm going to, again, I'm going to try and maybe draw a very rough parallel to my own (laughs) fledgling writing career of not only just having the order, but having someone else believe in you. And so having like this affirmation where you know that you've got a good product on your hands and then somebody else who has got a bit of clout, maybe like the buyer at Waitrose or Sainsbury's has gone, yeah, we agree with you. We think what you've got here is really, really good and we're willing to back you. So like that kind of feeling as well as the order must, must have a, a nice even keel. Yeah, oh, that's your Jerry Maguire moment. You're dancing around <laughs> and yes, Charlie's big potatoes. I've done it, you know. <laughs> yeah. It lasts for a couple of seconds and then you oh my God, I've got to fund it. How do I do that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then it's like, shit. Yeah. Yeah. And then you're just, it, and you know, that it's really, it's a weird thing because you get that first order and it's for like, let's say it's a hundred, I think it was a hundred pounds, you know, or 300 pounds, something like that. And it's just such a, a great, buzz and feeling and then you get into the thick of it of oh i've got to deliver it i've got to do this you know and you're into the daily grind of it and then you get another order and it's for a hundred thousand and then you get another order and it's and each time it's it each time there's a different level of elation but at the same time um there's you know the stresses that go with it i mean we we actually picked up a, a new retailer today and um but one one but obviously we've got the issues of covid it means the in, ingredients and supply the supply chain to everything at the moment is severely constrained and so it's you want to grow but you can't get the stuff made in time and and you know so let's just say some way my products are made in um, preston and also in alton uh in hampshire so preston's in lockdown so the staff are they're running a double staff at the factory so you've got to be sympathetic to know that, well, they can't run at full capacity. So everything is going to slow down. And then, of course, not so many people are going into the store because they don't want to. Or, and, you know, yes, people are buying online, but it's not the be all and end all. You've mm. still got to, whether it's online or in bricks and mortar, you've still got to make the product. Yeah. So there's those constraints come into it. So you, you get something like today and you think, Oh, that's great. But then you think, oh, I can't even celebrate. <laughs> I'm worried about I've got to deliver it. You know, yeah. so you're you're constantly moving into, you know, happiness to, oh right, okay, but how are we gonna do it? It's like you're schizo the whole time. Yeah, I guess reality and life kind of taking their their punches get in the way sometimes of that initial, oh yes, I'm I'm kind of getting up to another level, the business is growing, and then all of a sudden something will blindside you and you go, Oh, actually now I've got to go and put this fire out over here. Paul, yeah. I, I want to be respectful of your time, but I, I we touched upon COVID. I, I just want to hear the Spencer Matthews story in the Aston Martin. Story. <laughs> <laughs> if that's okay. um, uh, you, you told it so eloquently uh, off bike. I think I'll, I'll ask you to regale that one, please. Right. So, so we'll, we'd like a, um, when you're running your own business or, you know, your, your own brand, you rely on a lot of friends and network to try and help you or connect you to get to the next level without, you know, you, you, you know, to people you, you know. So I was looking at doing some marketing and um, a friend of mine, uh, Raph McDonough runs a, a talent uh, management company. And uh, he said to me, why don't you come over for a coffee with me? And we can talk about marketing. Cause I think he thought I had loads of money and uh so he sat there and he said, well, Paul, we still, look, why don't we, we, what you need is a brand ambassador for the, the you know, to, for what you're doing. 
And I said, yeah, sure, it'd be great if I could form it. He goes, well, okay, I could uh, potentially get you Robbie Williams, uh, but but he wants a million. I went, <laughs> you've got a million. From where? <laughs> yeah. And I can see you daft as we ordered another cappuccino. And uh, then he said to me, well, actually, the other person that I'm, I'm, I'm working with is, is Vogue, who at the time was um, just starting to go out with Spencer Matthews. And he said, oh, what about, what about Spencer? And I, I thought, well, he's, you know, good-looking guy, you know, but he'd been off the radar for a while since Made in Chelsea and stuff. And I said, well, you know, it, it, that he'd be great. I'm willing to, to have a chat with him. I can send him some products. So Raf got in touch with his agent and um, we sent him some products. And he came back and said, yeah, look, we'd, we'd, I'd love to do, do it, you know. Anyway, so we set up a first test thing and we did the thing with, at the um, – uh, the London Classic Car Club, um, you know, just a, a photo shoot and filmed it. And then I said to him, well, look, I've got this other idea where um, what we do is we, we sort of do a, a take on layer cake James Bond at, at, at uh, Stoke Park. And uh, and he said, oh, what a great idea. I love it. I said, and basically, you are going to be Daniel Craig. Oh, love it. He said, so... <laughs> So anyway, we had this idea. I then rang up Stoke Park because I knew the the manager, the PR manager there. And I said, well, look, how much to come and do a photo shoot, film shoot down there? And um, I said, I've got Spencer. He said, oh, no, no, come down. He said, I know Spencer. So he said, why don't you, I'll, I'll let you have the place for free. I mean, normally you pay a fortune to go down there. So that was uh, Nick Downey uh, down at uh, Stoke Park said, come, come on down. So we did that. So then I thought, well, I didn't have any money. And this is, you know, what other entrepreneurs have got to do this sort of thing is, so I thought, right, okay, I need an Aston Martin. So I rang up Aston Martin head office and I, and I told them what I was doing and my brand's in Sainsbury's and Waitrose. And I, they politely said, no, I don't think so. And, uh, <laughs> and so I thought, oh, right, what am I going to do now? And I knew there was a, an Aston Martin dealership um, on um, the A40. So I rang through and uh, luckily enough, I, I got through to the dealer principal and said, Look, oh, hi, my name is Paul Adrian. Um, I run a brand called Mojo. I'm trying to make a film with Spencer Matthews at Stoke Park. He said, oh, I know Spencer. So, uh, <laughs> said, so I sent him the, 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 the storyboard and said, and this is what we're going to do. And he said, well, when are you looking to do this? And I said, well, I think it was March the 8th. He said, oh, that's, that's really good for us. He said, we've got the new Aston Martin Vantage coming out. Wow. He said, do you want that? And I said, well, yeah. I said, how much is it? He says, no, you can have it free. Oh, terrific. He said, now, the only, thing, the only thing you've got to do is said, we've got the launch night on the Saturday, so we're busy preparing for it. And this was a Friday. He said, you'll have to come down and get it. I haven't got a driver. And I thought, oh, my God. So I, uh, I, uh, I went, oh, right. So I didn't sleep very well that night. And... <laughs> One of my shareholders rang me in the morning and said, so you're getting the Aston? And I was like picking it up at eight o'clock. It's not far f- from here. And um, I said, yeah. He said, he said what are you going? Where, how are you picking up? I said, oh, I'm driving down there. He said, what, you, in your banged out old car. I, he said, they won't give it to you. So he came along in his Range Rover and drove me down there. Uh-huh. And we got there. And they said, here's the car. And it was this brand new Aston Martin Vantage, 140,000 quid. And I can tell you, I tentatively 
drove it down to Stoke Park, got there. Of course, Spencer gets in it, starts revving it straight away. But we had a we had a great day with the car and, you know, really used it in all its glamour. And uh, it, ju- it was just a bit of fun. So it was a complete take on the layer cake. And Spencer was great in the part. And it, it was just a bit of fun to do, you know. And uh, I made a cameo appearance in it as well. So Oh, wow. Well, what an experience. I mean... Oh, we got it all for... The main thing is we got it for basically free and yeah. the guys who helped me film it again friends um so you know when you're when you're doing your own brand um you know i, I remember uh hearing i think it was ultravox uh mid saying when they did their vienna video they wanted they had this glamorous idea but then they found out it was going to cost them thousands to make it so then they decided to get a camera and just try and film it themselves which is what they did yeah. and you know Yes, you want to spend all this money on marketing and so forth, but sometimes you could do quite, you know, and, and the modern communications, you can do a lot yourself. And so in that case, you know, we made a, a film and that film. So here's how it then plays out. We make the film and we go to see Coles in Australia, who is the other major retailer there. And we show the buyer uh, the film of Spencer go down there. And she goes, oh, Spencer, I love him because she's from <laughs> the buyers there are from the UK. So... Uh, so you know so it's all circles so it worked really well fantastic well and it's also just how ideas can snowball once you have something in place or maybe by hook or by crook you've got someone or if it's either spencer or the car or the venue and then all of a sudden other people i mean like if you just said to me i'm um, going down stoke poachers can you do everything can you supply the sausages for free i'm like i'm there you know, yeah. I don't even know where I'm going to get them from, but I'll, I'll come with sausages you know what I mean yeah but it was, we were lucky enough to you know for like the um you know, for, for to be able to say when the people say, "Well, what, what your brand? What is it?" and you send it to them, and say, "Well, we're on sale in Waitrose and Sainsbury's." They go, "Oh, yeah. wow, yeah." So, and Spencer's going to do it. So they, it's got a level of, you know, it's, credibility. It, yeah, credibility. Yes. Wonderful. Well, listen, Paul. F- thanks so much for taking time out to tell me all these eloquent stories. I think uh, hopefully a lot of people listening will take some some of this away and be nourished by some of the stories, especially of entrepreneurship. But they can also check out the brand at mojo-style.com. It's a place and uh, also, well, like we mentioned in Waitrose and Sainsbury's, if you want to get down, they'll be on the shelves. Have a look at Mojo Styles on Instagram as well so that we can follow you and uh, enjoy the journey with you. And in the meantime, uh, may as well get that Elvis picture back up on the wall because that's where it belongs. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, awesome. Oh, it's the the gunslinger one. Oh, I love that. Yeah, it's like a... uh, Oh, it's huge. <laughs> Terrific. Can't believe someone told you to take down Elvis. <laughs> How dare they? And I listen to them. Uh, <laughs> well, uh, well, thank you so much for having me. That's well, really well, Thanks again, Paul. Uh, take care of yourself and, uh, and best of luck. Cheers. Thank you. Well, how about that, eh? The only reason I had to let Paul go was because the dog needed to do his business. Otherwise, we'd still be talking now. <laughs> so make sure you're supporting the good guys and head over to mojo-style.com and treat yourself or your loved one in the meantime thanks for tuning in if you like what you're hearing do leave us a review it does help our egos and until next time